The following program, Pilgrim's Progress, is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee, pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. We're going to talk about this journey from that city of destruction to the celestial city and what it takes, what the conditions are that we must meet to be able to successfully make this journey. Now, I want to begin with a passage of Scripture. It's found in Luke, the 11th chapter. Luke, the 11th chapter. I'm going to begin with verse 5. Suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are in bed with me. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will get up and give him the bread because he is his friend. Because of the man's boldness, he will get up and he will give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We live in such a difficult time. There is such a commotion about us in the political realm, in the financial realm. Every direction we look, there is confusion, there is fear. People don't know which way to turn. And in the midst of all of this, the question comes, have you prayed? Have you ever really prayed? I know for some of you, prayer is merely an exercise like yoga. It's a therapeutic exercise that you engage in. I want to tell you today, prayer is not an exercise like yoga. Prayer, if done meeting the conditions of God, reaches the throne room of heaven. Prayer, if you meet the conditions necessary will mean a change in the physical realm. Are you willing to meet those conditions? And we'll speak much about those conditions on Pilgrim's Progress. Now, I began reading a story for you from the book Remarkable Miracles by C.G. Bevington. He was a rough man, not cultured in in any manner a farm boy. But when he would begin to speak, the Holy Spirit of the living God would begin to move in great power. When he would get on his knees and begin to pray, God answered him. Now, I want to give you just a bit of a background. In the chapter that I've read so far, This 13-year-old boy 
by the name of Guy, Guy Bevington, is a part of a family with a father who was a Methodist preacher who has now backslidden. This Methodist preacher has become embittered because of the hard work that he has done in building a church, and the promised pledges did not come. And then he tried to deal in a disciplined manner with a man who had pledged a large amount, and the church voted to simply excuse it. And Guy's father said, we can't just excuse it. The man has lied to God. And so he tried to put the man out of the church, and instead the church voted to keep him. And Guy's father resigned his pulpit and never entered a church again. Well, Guy, as he was growing up, was very sickly, and so he was sent to his uncle's house in Indiana to chew a particular kind of gum, a tamarack gum, that was produced in that area. And that tamarack gum brought healing to his body. And now he doesn't want to return home. He doesn't want to be placed under the discipline of his father. In his carnal mind, he said, I'll not submit as my older brothers have to my father again. And so he ran away from his uncle's house. It was in the wintertime, and so this 13-year-old boy on the run, and God is guiding his footsteps. Now he has found a family that treated him very kindly. They had just lost to death a twin son. There was the daughter remaining. And they have fed him. They've given him a good night's rest. And they make him a proposition. They invite him to stay as a part of their family to replace the son they have lost. And they offer everything to he and Mary that was the sister, when the parents die, if he will simply stay and work on the farm and live with them, and now they're living in town. Now, the father had said something to him about washing the glasses and sleep and sweeping the room and some of the basic chores that he would need to perform if he stayed with them as a contributing member of the family. Now, I'm sharing this story with you because we're going to come to a very specific point. And I need you to understand this very simple point. That's why I'm sharing this story. And I urge you, please, if you're interested in Jesus, if you need more of Jesus Christ in your life, If there is a hunger in your heart, then cancel the next hour and just sit with me and listen. And you will find secrets of the kingdom of God unfolded to you that if you will walk in, your life will be revolutionized. Let me begin. This is Guy speaking. I finally mustered the courage to speak out What was bothering me? Sir, what you said about my washing some glasses and sweeping your room, what is that about? The silence that fell could be felt even by an inexperienced boy. The man finally raised his head as if to speak, but no words came. He was struggling inward with something that I could not diagnose. So his wife spoke up. Guy, he didn't like to mention the business he's in. You see, he has a saloon in front, and we're all ashamed of it. Even he is. But it seems he cannot get out of it without losing all he's put into it. Then the man rallied, and he began to speak. Yes, Guy, we wanted to give the children a better chance than they could get out on the farm. So we moved in here to town, 
and since times were hard, I could not get any work. After hunting work for eight months, the only thing I could find was this saloon. The man wanted to sell out and offered me quite a good bargain. Not fully realizing all that was involved in the business, I finally bought him out. We've been here three years, and neither of my children has ever been in the saloon, even though it's right out there in front of us. Neither has my wife been in there. Now comes what is involved in a mother who knows and does what is right. When I left home to go to my uncle, mother called me to her and raised my chin as I knelt before her. And looking in my eyes, she said softly, Guy, you are going away from home, away from my personal care. I want you to promise your mother one thing. Will you promise it? What is it, mother? Tears were falling because of my near departure from her. Guy, do you believe your mother would ask you to do anything that you could not do? that you should not do. No, let me re- read that sentence. It's an important one. Guy, do you believe your mother would ask you to do a thing that you could not do or that would hurt you? I quickly answered, no, of course not, Mama. But what is it? Then I looked again into her eyes. I quickly promised, whatever it is, I will do whatever you ask. I want you to promise never to go into a saloon. Oh, I sighed in relief. That is nothing. I'm glad it's no harder than that. I promise. I placed little emphasis upon her request at that time, for I'd never been in a saloon and supposed I never would be. I actually felt I was let off remarkably easy. But as time went on, I saw that Mother's vision had been much broader than mine. Now I told these people what Mother had made me promise, unsure as to their response. Mary's father jumped to his feet, threw his arms around me, and said, God bless that mother of yours. Give me her name, and I will write to her and tell her that I have her boy. I will tell her of the proposition I made you and how you refused it as a result of her covenant with you. I will adopt you if your parents will give me consent and you will never go into the saloon as we will soon be leaving here anyway. Now stay here, do your other chores and go to school with Mary and be my boy until we hear from your mother and your father. But I was afraid of that saloon. I saw there must be some evil attached to it, or Mother would have never singled that out for me at that time. Suddenly, I knew I had to leave. So I told them I had to go on to Michigan. Sensing my resolve, the man said, If you're determined to go because it's so bitterly cold, I will have a friend of mine who's going to Edwardsburg in the morning take you in his bobsled. He's going anyway, and I'm sure he won't mind. After breakfast the following morning, the precious Mary kissed me goodbye as tears rolled down her cheeks, and I never saw her again after that. As I got into the sleigh and covered all up, a package containing an overcoat, a pair of rubbers, and some underclothing was handed to me. There was also a basket of provisions. When you get to Edwardsburg, go in and eat at the hotel, they said. The trip was uneventful, and we arrived in fine shape. We went into the office of the hotel where the man who had had brought me asked if I might have the privilege to sit behind the wood stove to eat my dinner. With permission, I slipped out of sight and eagerly pulled the lid off the basket. To my utter amazement, I found a five-dollar bill resting on top of the goodies. I was sure it had gotten in there by mistake. When the sleigh driver came out from his dinner, 
I said, somebody put this $5 bill in my basket by mistake. Please take it back to them. No, he replied. That's from Mary. I saw her put it there. She had intended to put it into a pair of furs this week, but she said she would and could, without any problem, do without those furs, and so she gave that five dollars to you. In spite of myself, I began to feel tears welling up in my eyes. I brushed them away angrily. Seeing the tears, the driver said, Would you like to go back? If you want to, I'll take you, and I won't charge you anything. I realized then that he was not some friend of Mary's father who had been coincidentally coming this way. He was running a hack, and Mary's father had paid my fare. I said, No, I want to keep going. And thus began the main incident of my whole life the reason for relating all of the former as this book is about the results of prayer. I began a 12-mile walk with more to carry than before. As I trudged down the road, I was flooded with feelings. I had a longing to be with my mother. I thought about the kindness and the remarkable proposition made at the last home with that lovely Mary as a prospective sister. That made me think of my own sister, just two years younger than me. Those thoughts all combined to get me in a mixed-up state, weaving a web around my heart that threatened to engulf me. Finally, I raised my head, and I saw a large tree several rods from the road. I walked up to that tree, and I dropped down to the ground where I thought I, sh- I should stay. On- where I thought I should say the only prayer I had ever undertaken to say. Now I lay me down to sleep. I thought that might lift me out of the despondency that seemed to settle down on me like a dark, heavy cloud. I began with the familiar words that. Now being almost fourteen years of age, I supposed were quite enough. I believed I was about to offer the finest prayer I'd ever offered up to God, for I began to really pray. And then the strangest thing happened. I got lost in my prayer. I was under that tree for nearly two hours. I don't even know what all I prayed. But I well remember that the clouds began to break and roll back, and it seemed I was being lifted up onto a plane I'd never visited before. I remember saying, God, just lead me to a religious home where they read the Bible and where they pray as Mother did. I became very happy and rose from under that tree, most wonderfully blessed. I believed that I was regenerated then, but I didn't know all about regeneration, being so young, and Satan kept me from really knowing what happened under that tree. So I don't remember at all what I asked or what I promised but have ever since believed that all of that was included. All that was required for regeneration happened in those two hours under that tree. I actually ran down the road. I shouted and I laughed and I jumped and I cried aloud. I'd never experienced such inward joy. It was rapture. I ran for hours under that mighty Something that made me feel as I'd never felt before. Not supposing it to be really regeneration, I never testified to it. But this was such a marked experience in my life, it stuck to me for years. In fact, I never did get entirely away from under its influence. I look back to the 
to that tree with great reverence. I remember saying, Lord, if you'll take me to a religious home, I will serve you. I will serve you the best I know how. I suppose I had to be older to get salvation. I ought to have known better, as I'm sure Mother never gave me that impression, but Satan is always at work on his job, and he knows just where to get his diabolical work in. He cheated me out of what God had just given me. I want to stop there for a few minutes. He said some things in a very, very simple manner. But don't miss the import. Now, as I read through this book, we're going to get into some very deep theology. But not yet. You need to understand some things. If you want Jesus, you need to understand some things first. The conditions for meeting Jesus. According to the Word of God, you must deny yourself. You must take up your cross and you must follow Jesus. So when the devil comes to you and says, yes, do this, it would be, pl- it would be pleasant, you will be happy if you do this, but in your heart you know it's wrong, and, and you have said to yourself, I will never do this thing again, and you have repented for it, but now the devil comes and he says, this would be very pleasant, you deserve it right now, why don't you just go ahead? In your heart, know that if you want Jesus, you have to deny yourself. You have to say, no, I'm not going to step into that. By the blood of Jesus Christ, I will not commit that sin against God. I'm going to serve the Lord the best I know how to serve him. I am going to deny myself. It may be that extra piece of pie. It may be the pornography. It may be bitterness, it may be anger, it may be cheating, lying, stealing, it may be ambition and pride, whatever it is, whatever the sin is that Satan has you by the throat over. It may be gluttony. It may be jamming that food down your throat until you're blown up like some kind of big balloon. Overweight, heavy saying, oh, someday I'm going to lose this weight. Well, no, you're not. Not until you deny yourself. And some people actually say, okay, I'm not going to deny myself. I'm going to go have surgery on my stomach. And that way I won't be able to eat. That doesn't work either. You have to deny yourself. You have to say no. Well, how am I going to say no? One very simple way. Did you hear as I read this with, with this man, Bevington? Got down on his knees, and it was under a tree outside. And he began to pray the best prayer, a very childish, simple prayer that little children learn at their mother's knee. And they say it at night, now I lay me down to sleep. But then suddenly other words began to flow out of his heart. And suddenly he's lost in prayer. I want to tell you this morning as I was preparing to come and do this radio broadcast, I made the mistake, if it was a mistake, of settling down in the presence of God And I began to pray about you. I began to pray about this broadcast. I began to just talk to the Lord about it. And you know what happened? I got lost in my prayer. I forgot all about time. I was in sweet communion with Jesus. And he was in sweet communion with me. And I forgot about everything. I forgot about starting on time. I forgot about leaving the house on time. And after quite a session of prayer, 
probably over an hour. It was like I suddenly was awakened from my prayer time. And the Lord said, now go get ready. And with great joy, I left the prayer closet. I have in, I have in my house a room that I have dedicated for prayer. It's a bedroom, but I've set it up as a prayer room. That's where I go to meet with the Lord. You know, it's important to have a place where you can pray. I lost myself in prayer. I wept before the Lord for you today that you would tune into this radio broadcast. If you have just tuned in, it's not by accident. It's because I prayed for you. I got lost in my prayers for you. And the Lord made me promises. And he spoke to me. He comforted my heart. I pleaded with him. I said, I am dependent upon you alone, Jesus, to move in the heart of every person that you caused to tune into this broadcast. Lord, don't let them just run away into their foolish day again, but keep them and do a work in their heart today and call them to pray. It's time we got lost in prayer. It's time we forgot about all the politics. It's time we forgot about all the entertainment. It's time we forgot about all the money issues. It's time we forgot about everything but Jesus and come and get in his presence and open our hearts. Now, I could not always pray like this. I have to confess I was entering more and more deeply into a crisis. This was many years ago. I was entering more and more deeply into a crisis in my church because I felt like my church was becoming ex- extremely worldly. It was a large congregation, and I could see that we were becoming a social church. We were becoming a worldly church. Oh, we had all the right music, and we had all the, the right sp- special speakers, and we had... We had all the crowds, but it was a worldly church. And I began to recognize a great hunger in my heart for God. And he brought several people into my life who who spoke about the fact that God will answer prayer. And I recognized that I didn't pray anymore. I just prayed publicly. I didn't pray privately. Oh, I shot prayers at heaven. I express needs, and I, I even said thank you once in a while, but I came to a place where I said, you know what? I'm not even sure there is a God. He doesn't answer my prayers. How do I know God is real? Oh, I'd been raised in the church, but my heart was cold. I felt every time I preached like I was a phony like it was just words. Oh, they were inspiring words. They were entertaining words. I made people laugh. I made people cry. But in my inner heart, I felt like they were empty words, that as soon as I would speak the words, they would drop down to the ground and embarrass me because they wouldn't get up and march. My words had no power. And I felt very... I felt very distant from God. My heart was like an iceberg. My father had just died. I felt very alone in the world. I was single. My wife had taken up with another man. We'd been through a divorce. I was broken. I was dead inside. And finally, in desperation, knowing what my father would have done, I said, I'm going to pray. And so I set apart 
one hour because in the scriptures, Jesus said to the disciples, could you not even pray one hour? Could you not watch for even one hour without going to sleep? I also read where he said, go in your bedroom and shut the door and what you pray in private will be heard in public. I'll answer you in public, the Lord said. So I went in my bedroom and I shut the door. I said, I'm going to give the Lord an hour a day, 10 a.m. I'll leave my office and my staff. I'm going to go home. I'm going to go in my bedroom. I'll close the door. I'll get down on my knees and I'm going to pray for one hour. And so I took an alarm clock with me and I set it on my nightstand for one hour. And I knelt down and I began to pray. I didn't know how to pray. It's been a long time since I'd really prayed. And after about 10 minutes, I'd said everything twice, and I was out of words. I had no clue what to say. And I looked at the clock, and it was only 10 minutes into the hour, and I said, I'm in very deep trouble. I'm a preacher who doesn't know how to pray. I closed my eyes and I tried to pray some more and it was hopeless. I looked at the clock. It was 11 minutes. I said, I'm going to stay on my knees for one hour. I have nothing to say to you, God, but I'm going to stay on my knees for one hour. And so I stayed on my knees for an hour. When it was done, I got up and I left and I went back to my office and I went back to work. And I said, this is the dumbest thing I've ever done. What I need to do is buckle down and get to work and make this church happen. But I knew I'd made a pledge to God that I would pray for an hour every day. So the next day I left my office. I left my staff at 9.30. By 10 o'clock I was in my prayer closet in my bedroom, kneeling at my bed with the alarm clock set for another hour. Well, the second day, the same thing happened. I had nothing to say to God. I didn't know how to pray. So I went through what was becoming a rant for about 10 minutes, and then I was finished, and I'd already said it twice or three times. And I suffered through another hour in the presence of God. But now I have to tell you something. I began to see in my mind a picture. And the picture I saw was of a big fence. And every time I got on my knees, I saw this fence in my mind. It was very troubling to me. I knew as I saw that fence that I had been fenced out of the throne room of God. Now, it would not be for another two years before that fence finally came down. And when I go to pray now, there is immediate access to the throne of God, and there is no fence. But now I could only see the fence, and it was very discouraging to me. The third day, I went back. I set my alarm clock. It was one hour. And I went through the same ritual again. This went on for almost two weeks. And I was about ready to throw the whole thing out and say, forget this, I'm leaving the ministry. God isn't there for me. In fact, I don't even think God is real. And I began to say that to him. I began to say, God, you don't show up. You don't change anything. You're not real. I'd, I'm not going to believe in you. And then I read aloud Mark 11, 23 and 24, and I said, this is what your scriptures say. I read Luke, the 11th chapter again. I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking, but the fence is in my face. The door is closed. Well, that, that rant at God lasted a little bit longer. 
It was a struggle. I didn't know how to pray. I didn't know what to say. I just prayed in public. These formal, beautiful prayers that were worked out ahead of time. But suddenly I was face to face with the reality that God had fenced me out. The door was closed to the throne room of God. And I didn't have a clue how to break through. Well, I went back again in the second week, the third week. And then something prompted me. I know now it was the Holy Spirit prompted me to go to the Psalms. And I did something that I'd never heard of before. I began to read aloud the Psalms of David to the Lord. And I said, these were David's prayers. So until God gives me my own prayer, I'm going to pray David's prayer. It was like priming the pump. Soon, the alarm clock would go off, and I wouldn't stop. Soon, my prayer time, after a month, was reaching into two and three and four, five, six, seven, eight hours of prayer, where I was simply lost in prayer before the Lord. I didn't really understand what was happening. I just knew that I made a commitment to spend that hour a day, and in that hour I would become lost, and I couldn't leave. It was as though I was in another realm, and God began to change my heart. He began to change me. That was the beginning of a of a soul rehab job. Tearing out everything that was there, replacing it with all new fixtures. It had to go down and even tear the drywall out of my life. I won't tell you all the results that happened out of that But I will tell you that I'm here today because of that prayer time. There came a day when the Lord spoke audibly to me. I was in my prayer room. I'd been there for some time. The Lord brought a wife for me. And after we were married, we lost everything. We spent a year in the desert, and then we came back to Washington at the Lord's command. And I was one morning sitting in the prayer closet, lost in prayer. And I was pleading with the Lord for the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he spoke audibly to me. It's as though a door opened or a window opened into the heavenlies and he spoke. I'll tell you what he said. He said, if you want my power, read my word. And he was gone. I rushed from that little room to find my wife. I said, Jan, Jesus just spoke to me. Her face lit up because she knew we were in deep financial trouble. She said, what did he say? I said, he said, if you want my power, read my word. She looked at me strangely and she said, Ray, what does that mean? I said, it means we're supposed to read the scriptures. 
well, how are we supposed to read the scriptures? And instantly I knew. We were supposed to read them from Genesis through Revelation. And we began immediately. We both opened our Bibles to the book of Genesis. And we began to read. We read it like we would read a novel. We read it like we would read any other book. And what happened is I went to sleep. I said, what is this? God is saying that if I want his power, I have to read his word. But I can't read his word because I get sleepy. I fall asleep when I'm reading his word. I cried out to the Lord. I said, Lord, your word is boring to me. I don't understand. Why is your word boring to me? He said, stand up and walk while you read it. So I stood up, and I began to walk around the house while I read the scriptures. Walking kept me awake. And slowly, after day after day of struggling, the word suddenly came alive like a like a movie picture, like a video. Now I wasn't sleepy reading the word. I was wide awake, and I began to learn something. As I spent all my time reading the word, I didn't have time to read all the magazines. I didn't have time to watch this or that. I, I only had time to read the word because I wanted the power of God in my life. So now God had planted in my life two wonderful revelations. One, he'd given me the revelation regarding prayer, that if I would just get lost in prayer with him, and if I would just get lost in the reading of the scriptures with him, he would give me his power. Now, a strange thing began to happen to me. As I read the word, the more and more I read it, the more alive my spirit became. The more I read the scriptures aloud, the more I spent time in the word, the more clear I was about what God's will was for my life. Now, I haven't had time to tell you the whole story, but, but there came a time when the Lord said, close this church. It's not mine, it's yours. And I went through the process of closing the church out and sending five families to this pastor and five families to that pastor until finally all the members were gone and they were all located in other churches. And I had no longer a salary. And so now as we're in this house, we don't have a public ministry. And we don't have a salary. And now it's simply by prayer because the Lord had said to me, audibly, will you receive from my hand only what I choose to give you? And I had said, yes. And then he said, don't go in debt and don't ask anyone for anything except me. I said, okay, Lord, I'll do that. So now he had brought together prayer that was providing food for my table, prayer that was opening the way for me each step that I should take, and now he's added to my life the reading of the scriptures. And then suddenly, the home that we're in, the landlord has sold it, and we have 30 days to move out. And we have absolutely no money to rent another house. And as we're loading the last of our goods on the U-Haul truck, and some friends are helping me and we're moving it into a storage unit, we have no idea where we're going for the next day, for that night. That's when the Lord caused 
an acquaintance, not a friend, an acquaintance to call and say, I hear you're moving. Where are you moving? And we say, we don't know. We're just moving everything into storage. And he said, well, please come, come live with me for 30 days. That'll give you time to get on your feet. So after everything was in storage, we headed over to his house. He was a single man. He had plenty of room in his house. And we took up a brief 30-day residence in one of his rooms. Now, what, what would we do during those 30 days? Well, I'll tell you what we did. We now had no responsibilities, except Jan would cook his meals. We would share family meals together. And I would clean up around the house. But other than that, we had nothing to do. And so we read the Word. We read the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation. And after 30 days, he said, I've never had such a wonderful time in all of my life. He was not a Christian man. But he said, would you two be willing to continue living with me on this basis? Jan, if you'd prepare some meals. And Ray, if you'd kind of do some things around the house. I won't charge you a penny. That began five years of being homeless, of living with this man. Later, he met a wonderful woman and he married her. And my wife and I together did this wonderful wedding ceremony for them. And she insisted, oh, no, I don't want you to move out. I want you to stay with us. Stay right here with us. We love you. That began a five-year stint of being homeless. How did we use those years? I'll tell you. We read the Bible all day. We prayed all day. We read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation six, seven times a year. Just reading and rereading, reading and rereading. Do you know what? I'm still doing that. Much of my time every day is taken up just reading the word from Genesis to Revelation. Even though I'm pastoring full-time and doing this radio broadcast, I still expect that I will read the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation three to four times every year. How many times have I read it? I could not begin to guess, but I know it far exceeds 50 times. I'm beginning finally to know the Word of God. It is alive to me. It's my strength. It's my courage. It's what orders my steps. Now listen, if you want Jesus, you're not going to get him by going to church once in a while. And you're not going to get him by watching the television. If you want Jesus, you're going to have to take these two things that I've shared with you today that are of utmost importance. You are going to have to Lose yourself in prayer. You're going to have to lose yourself in prayer. And the second thing you're going to have to do is begin to read the scriptures to yourself or aloud. And I understand your immediate response will be to get sleepy as you begin to read the scriptures. That is a sure sign of an ailment that must be diagnosed quickly for you. So let me diagnose it. If you get sleepy as you begin to read the Word, it is because your heart has been seared by the world. It's because you are reading too much news, you are watching television, you are entertaining the movies, and so as you read the Scriptures, you go to sleep. They don't taste good to you. They're boring to you. They taste like cardboard to you. Well, I understand the ailment, and there's only one cure. Stop watching all the news. Stop reading all the magazines. Turn aside from the Internet. And just let your mind focus on the simple things of the Word of God. And as you do that, it will begin to come alive in your heart 
and in your mind. But you say, well, I've already read through and I know what they say. You don't have a clue. You know more. You, you do not know what the Word of God says. I've read the Scriptures through more than 50 times, and I'm still just a rank beginner in understanding the Word of God. I'm a man shallow. I am a man of, of great, great need before the throne of God that he would impart to me the wisdom of the Word of the living God. So if you've read it once or twice, or you've, you don't know the Word of God, if you expect to spend eternity with this God, wouldn't you think you should spend some time getting acquainted with him? Are you sure you want to spend eternity with this God when you've not even prayed and you've not even read the Word? Now I know. Some people say, oh, pastor, I pray all day. By that they mean, if they need something, they shoot a prayer at God like an arrow. Well, that's not prayer. The kind of prayer that reaches the throne room of God is getting before God for at least an hour, a minimum of an hour. Prayer usually doesn't start for me until after the first hour. It takes me that long just to clear out all the garbage and all the concerns and all my worries All that has to be laid aside. It has to be cleaned out so that I can begin to pray the heart of God. People say to me, Oh, pastor, I'm a prayer intercessor. I'm a prayer warrior. Oh, are you? Tell me about it. How much time do you spend praying every day? Well, 10 or 15 minutes at least. And I say, No, you're not a prayer warrior. You haven't even begun to enter into the presence of God. You're fenced out. Now, I know as I close this broadcast that many of you listening have been fenced out of the throne room of God. You pray and you hope, but nothing happens. Please hear my cry to you. Get in the presence of God and begin to humble your heart and begin to lay out for him who you really are. And then open the Word of God in Genesis and begin to read. And just read. One man who struggled so with sin, he says, Oh, Pastor, I don't need to read it from Genesis to Revelation. I need to focus on this one passage. Oh, but sin runs him over constantly. He has no victory because he thinks he doesn't need the Word of God. Have you heard me today? Will you turn your heart toward God? Will you learn this simple lesson today? Will you pray? And will you read the word? I'm Ray Greenlee from the National Prayer Chapel. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you. to present you blame.